0: You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. It's good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to Matthew chapter 6. Last week, I was able to take the opportunity to go visit our church planner in Washington, D.C., Pastor Greg, and just get an update and meet the folks. He's doing a Bible study right now, and it's growing, and uh, he plans to launch the church in August, so continue to pray for him. It was just good uh, to visit with him and encourage him last week. And uh, today's a special day, too, because it's the six-year anniversary of our church buying this property and this facility. So kind of a cool thing to remember that six years ago we were moving in here, and this Easter is actually our birthday as a church. We're going to be eight years old. So it's always, uh, I think, important to remember that as a church that is so young and, and just recognizing how very blessed we've been in the few short years we've been in existence. And so we want to thank God for that and praise God for that. And speaking of birthdays, today is my uh, daughter Brooke's 11th birthday. And is she in the room? There she is. Get a little what's up over there. Now she's going to be, (laughs) tell her happy birthday today. And uh, she's usually in Kid Street, but mom had to leave. And so she's hanging with us today. Hey, how many of you guys would recognize the fact that you, or, or at least, you know, kind of admit today that you at one point in your life were a track star? Any track and field stars in the room at all? Maybe one, two, okay. Did anybody do the high jump? Anybody like ever do the high jump even in middle school? Like, okay, a couple of people. Like the high jump is pretty difficult. And, you know, the high jump's been in the Olympics ever since the very beginning back in 1896. But what's cool about the the high jump is that different techniques have been used throughout the years in order to kind of raise the bar and to, you know, uh, jump higher. The very first technique that was used is called the scissors technique. And back in 1887 William Page, you know, ran towards the bar, right? Jumps off 1 foot and kind of hurdles the bar kind of splitting his legs and and, and, and kind of like the uh, like like the name as like like scissors jumps over the bar. He jumped 6 foot 4 inches and set a record. That's as tall as me. That's pretty impressive. Well, as time went on, they, they were learning new ways and different techniques to to jump higher and raise the bar. And so they decided to to, uh, to do what was called the Western Roll. And so a man by the name of George Horine, yeah, runs toward the bar and kind of jumps and just kind of rolls over the bar. And and he actually set a record, too, at six feet, six inches. And so that was the technique that they used in the high jump for for over 30 years after that. But they kind of hit a wall and and they couldn't jump any higher. And, And then all of a sudden in 1968, a man by the name of Dick Fosbury, comes up with a brand new technique. He runs, towards the, uh, he runs toward the bar. He jumps off of one foot. He throws his head over the bar, you know, does kind of a, a C-shape, like bend with his body and flops over the bar. And this is really the, the technique that's even used today. And on that day in the Mexico City Olympics in 1968, he set a brand new world record at seven feet four and one-fourth inches, totally blowing up the previous records, all because he found a better way, a better technique to raise the bar and to jump higher. Now, let's think about this for a moment. Some of you are spiritually stuck. You're spiritually just stuck, and, and, and there's this barrier, and you can't jump any higher. You're not growing any further, and and maybe when it comes to your finances, that's especially true. You've just found that there's this barrier, there's this, there's this like, like hindrance that, that you just can't bust through. You're, you're not growing, you're not developing, and you're just kind of stuck. Today, I wanna talk about something that, that each and every one of us need to understand as a follower of Jesus. And, and, and for some of you, this is going to be a new technique because essentially you, you can't keep living your, your life eking your way financially through life. You, you can't just, you know, keep existing spiritually. You need, you need to break through this barrier. You need, to, you need to grow. You need to raise the bar, bust out of this rut and start living for Jesus in an entirely new way. Essentially, in this series, we've been challenging you to reshape your attitude and your your thinking about how how God has given you these resources. and, And specifically, how you become a wise, biblical, financial steward of the resources that God has given to you. And so, we've got to reshape our attitude. We've got to reshape our thinking and we've got to understand what the Word of God says and, and then apply it to our lives. And, and for some of you, this is going to be a new technique today. This is going to be like the Fosberry flop. It's going to totally revolutionize your spiritual life and your, your financial life. And it's going to allow you to raise the bar spiritually in your life and jump higher and go further than you've ever gone before. And so I want to start in Matthew chapter 6, realizing that, that when we started this series, I challenged you to kind of do a financial health check. You know, when you go to the doctor, you get a, a physical exam and he kind of can, can tell you by looking at a few signs, what kind of health you're in. Well, the same can be said about your, your financial health. And we looked at that week one. You can go online and watch that if you missed it, but you can determine what your financial health is by looking at a few key numbers. And then we can begin to, 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 to realize if we're out of shape financially, we can be intentional about allowing the Holy Spirit to reshape our thinking and to change our hearts so that it will become exactly like God wants it to, submitting before God, uh, allowing God to use our resources as a gift to invest into the kingdom of God. And in chapter 6 of Matthew, beginning in verse 19, this is a a very very familiar verse, I know. But but sometimes we read these verses, we've heard them before, and we just kind of can breeze by them and forget how how spiritually deep and powerful they are, and how they want to uh, how God wants them to transform our life. And so let's 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 look at that. Receive what God wants us to hear this morning, beginning in verse 19, where it says this. Jesus says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy." Where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rush destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, this is powerful. Jesus gives us two investment principles to live by in our life. As a follower of Christ, we want to grasp these today as we begin. So the first principle is simply this. Personal investments don't last. Personal investments don't last. Look look at this. Any earthly investment you and I make into our own kingdom, into our own financial plan, our own financial kingdom, he says, will either be eaten or destroyed by moth. It'll be destroyed by rust or a thief will break in and steal it. Essentially, everything that we accumulate, everything that we can gather, anything material in our life will have an end. It will expire, and we don't get to take anything with us after we die. So Jesus says that a wise financial investment principle is not to invest in your personal um, investments. So the next principle is that, look, the kingdom uh, investments will last Forever, Kingdom investments will last forever. He says, when you lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, moth won't destroy it. Rust won't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal it. So he says the wise investment principle is to invest everything that we have in a future home, in our future reality, where it will last for all eternity. And then he says in verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is key. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. In other words, whatever your money is pursuing today, whatever your life is pursuing today, spending money on, resources on, time on, that's what your treasure is. You see, God is not after your money. I'm not after your money. The church is not after your money. The reality is God desires your heart. He wants you to make a heart connection with him And if your heart is serving money, if your heart is fixated on financial gain and what material possessions you can get, then your heart does not truly belong to God. Jesus says, we read it week one, you cannot serve both God and money. You can't have two masters. So he says, earthly investments, not a good investment. Eternal investment is a kingdom investment. So the question then becomes, Will you invest treasures on earth and lose them? Or will you invest in treasures in heaven where they will be yours for all eternity? Now that's the question, isn't it? What are we gonna do with our resources? So then we we see here that Jesus is not saying, don't invest, investments are bad. No, he's actually telling us to invest. But specifically he's saying to invest and to store up treasures in heaven. He simply says, stop storing them in the wrong place and start storing them in the right place. Stop building pretend wealth and start building eternal wealth. Now, imagine you have a stockbroker and your stockbroker tells you today when you go home that you need to invest in Hertz Global. And he sells this big pitch and he says how great it is and what a wise thing he thinks it would be. And and so you go home all excited, you log into your account, you're ready to, you know, to, 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 to buy some stock. And And your best friend hears about this, and he hears you talking, and he decides to Google it and find out a little information, and he quickly discovers that in 2016, Hertz Global did really bad. In fact, they lost 60% of their stock. In fact, Fortune Magazine claimed that they were one of the top 10 worst uh, company performances in the entire year. And so he warns you. He says, bro, don't do it. Any money you invest into that, chances are you're gonna lose it. Bad investment, don't do it, don't do it. Now, who are you gonna listen to? Your best friend, somebody that cares about you or or you know, someone who is, who is it sounds like they're leading you in the wrong direction. Well, hopefully you'll do your own research, you'll Google it, you'll find out, you'll talk to some other people and, and hopefully you'll come to the conclusion that your best friend has your best interest in mind and you'll trust him, you'll believe him. See, the reality is, The Holy Spirit is your best friend. And the scripture says that he will guide you into all godliness, into all truth. So the question then uh, begins to to become clearer. Are we listening to his voice? Are are, are we listening to him? Are we pursuing him through his word? Are we surrounding ourselves with godly people that would, would show us where our investments need to go? Because the reality is some of you, despite the warnings, continue to invest in a bad stock. You continue to invest money in areas that will not have an eternal significance and are actually causing you to go deeper into debt and deeper into the clutches and the bondage of sin in your own life. It causes marital issues. It causes issues at work. You're constantly worried by it. So what do we do? How do we as believers you know, raise the bar Uh, Discover a new technique, do something different, get our life on track financially, put God first, and begin to apply his truth to our life. Well, I'm going to give you three very simple, very clear, strategic ways for you to become a good, wise financial steward of your resources today. And so if you have your Bibles open, turn a few pages to the left and go to the last uh, book in the Old Testament. It's called Malachi. We're going to look at chapter 3. And we're going to discover one of the most life-giving, powerful, transforming techniques that God gives to us that will release our hearts from the bondage of materialism and allow God to to, to allow us to have the grace to surrender our hearts to Him. And so let's look at verse 6. Malachi chapter 3 says this, For I, the Lord, do not change. Okay, very important, underline that. God is not a God that changes his promises. He doesn't change his techniques. What is true for him is always true for him. He, he's not getting nicer this year and He's got he, he's not giving, getting meaner this year. Praise God, he is perfect today. He does not change. Therefore, because he doesn't change, because he is God, because he is in control, because he's given us everything, therefore, O oh children of Jacob, You're not consumed. Verse seven, from the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. God reminds them, you have turned aside from the way of freedom and the way of righteousness. You've turned aside from that. You've not kept my commands. You've not walked with me. You've, You've gone your own direction. And he says, Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, How shall we return? And God says, will a man rob God? Now, if he asked us that today, would you rob me, Trent? I would say, no way, God, I'm not robbing you. I'm not robbing God. That's, that's ridiculous, right? We, we would all say that we would never want to do that or even think about that. But God then says, yet you are robbing me. But you say, how? How we robbed you? And he says, in your tithes and contributions. Verse nine, you're cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. He says in verse 10, to bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test. God says, put me to the test. I want you to to give this tithe. I want you to give of your resources. Put me first materially. And essentially, you're putting me to the test and saying, God, if I give this, are you going to provide for me? Are you going to meet my needs? And God says, "That's that's the avenue, that's the world, that's the culture I want you to live in that you have to give away materially so that then you are forced to trust God to provide. He says, I want you to test me in that. And he says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Essentially, he says, if you test me, if you give faithfully and you need me, I'm gonna fulfill my promise. I'm gonna open up the floodgates of heaven and make sure that every single need that you have is met. Now, this is huge for us. This is transforming. If you're taking notes, the first principle to invest wisely is to give God the first 10% of your gross income, to give 10%, a percentage of your gross income to God. If we are not doing that, if we are not putting God first financially, then we, in fact, need to repent of sin, turn back to God, and put Him first financially. You see, in Matthew 6, 33, Jesus says, Seek first the kingdom of God. Now, Giving faithfully a percentage is what seeking first the kingdom of God materially begins to look like in your life. You say, I'm going to give God this specific amount and I'm gonna give it to him first. You say, I'm gonna store my treasures in heaven. I'm gonna make my investments eternal, to have eternal consequences, to have eternal blessings in my life now, but also in my life to come. I know my earthly treasures are gonna be ruined They're going to be stolen. I know God owns it all. And what he gives to me is not just for me. He gives to me so that I can bless other people. And I know everything I give to God, every single dollar that I give to God, every single uh, ounce of of seconds and minutes and hours I give to God. When I give God my talents, everything that I give to God and put him first in, he blesses. And there, there will be eternal rewards that we are storing up for ourselves in the life to come. Now, the tithe literally means a tenth. So essentially, God is saying to the Israelite people at this time to give a tenth of your material possessions to the temple at this time. So this tenth is, is, is of, of their gross income to fund the ministries of God. We see this in Numbers 18, we see this in Numbers 27. But what's interesting about what the people of Israel were giving to God at this time is it was actually much more than just 10%. And a quick study of the Old Testament will show this to you. Uh, There was another actual uh, offering and percentage that was given in Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 17 and 18, and even in uh, chapter 14 of a 10%, a gift that supplied the needs for various festivals to build community and to celebrate there in uh, their community. There was another 3.3% given to help poor people in Deuteronomy 14. There was what was called a crop gleaning that was collected for uh, the poor and for the the, the foreign aliens um, uh, that were living in their city in Leviticus 19. And then occasionally there were uh, offerings above and beyond what they were giving. For instance, in Nehemiah 10, when they had to collect an offering to rebuild the city walls. So essentially the people of Israel at this time were giving 25% of their incomes, of their resources for God's ministries. Now, this is huge for us. I I think uh, for, for you and I, we sometimes look at giving like this and Based on your history and where you've come from and what you've learned, a lot of you would, would say that, you know, tithing is just some legalistic Old Testament duty and, and you know, you just kind of check off a box and I just don't believe in it or whatever. It's just legalism. But the reality is, when we commit a percentage and we say, God, we're strategically going to manage our resources in a wise way, we're going to give this to you every single week or every single month. And we've prioritized Him in that, and we've thought through it. It's actually a freeing experience. It's a blessed experience to be able to give and then to see God do amazing things uh, as a result of our gifts. And and it frees our heart of the bitterness and the selfishness and the pride that so easily grows in our heart in this materialistic culture of wanting more and more and more and gotta have the nicest and gotta have the best. And and so giving really breaks that uh, uh, sin and that hardness of heart in our life. But I know, I get it. Some of you probably would object and say, well, the tithe is, is Old Testament law, and we don't live by the law anymore. Trent, you've actually said that. You, you've told us we don't live by the law anymore. We live under grace. But the reality is the tithe actually preceded the law. In fact, Abraham gave a tithe to a priest called Melchizedek in Genesis chapter 14. And, and later in Genesis 28, his grandson Jacob gave a tithe to the Lord as well. That's five, or 400 years before Uh, the Mosaic law was actually instituted. I know some others would say, well, at least it's Old Testament. We don't follow the Old Testament. We follow the New Covenant and and that might be your argument. And so we would look to what Jesus says about it in Matthew 23, 23. Jesus is speaking to some Pharisees who are obviously struggling with their faith. And Jesus says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. (laughs) Love Jesus's politically correct way of calling people out. Hypocrite. For you pay a tithe of mint and dill and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. He says, these you have you should have done, you ought to have done the tithing part, you, you, you should continue and ought to do what you have done without leaving the others undone. In other words, I think I flip-flopped that, without leaving the others done. So like the, the tithing, he says, don't stop doing that, but... He wants us to consider the weightier matters in our life. And the weightier matters are justice and mercy and love. So so how can we as the people of God show justice to those in our cities and our communities that are fairly untreated, that are oppressed or, or that are mistreated? And he says, I want you to, to struggle for them and I want you to show justice to them and, and provide mercy ministries towards them to, to meet those needs and to have compassion for them. These are weightier issues. I want you to have faith, and I want you to struggle with justice and mercy. But as you struggle with the weightier, more difficult things, don't neglect these other things like tithing. Essentially, Jesus is like, yeah, tithing is the easy part. This is the hard stuff I need you to get your minds wrapped around. I need you to start doing this, the justice, the mercy. But too many of us still haven't given God control of our resources and said, yeah, yeah, I'm going to give to you faithfully. This is part of... Everything that you've given to me, God, yeah, I can give this portion that that you've given to me back. Now, Jesus had um, this opportunity to preach what we call the greatest sermon of all time in Matthew, uh, and and for three chapters, Jesus refers to the Old Testament law, um, and and so just like in this passage in Matthew twenty three, he had the perfect opportunity to condemn tithing, but he doesn't. He says he affirms it, and in 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 the. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, you have heard that it has been said. You remember that passage. And he's referring to all these Old Testament commands and and, and, and these uh, commands given uh, by Moses. And And for instance, he says, you have heard that it said, do not commit adultery. But I say, do not look lustfully at, a, at, at another woman, at a woman. So the reality is Jesus takes the Old Testament command and he raises the bar, right? He he raises the standard. And so he he, he later, he, he says, you've heard that it said, do not commit uh, murder. But he says, I say, do not be angry with your brother or you will be under judgment. <laughs> Love it. He does this for three chapters in this sermon. So he's taking the Old Testament law and he's saying, here's what the Old Testament says, but I'm raising the standard. I'm, I'm, I'm lifting the bar of excellence here. And I think the same thing is, 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 is said and could be said about tithing. Like, this is what was required in the Old Testament. Right, but, but Jesus would say now, as a blessed nation as we are today, we have way more than, than we need. We have way more in abundance more than we need. Our problem is what we think we need has elevated to such a standard that we are spending so much money on things that, that don't really provide anything eternally, that don't really provide happiness, but, but kind of give us a thrill for a few months we end up wasting our time. We end up wasting our money on things that have no value, no value in our life. And so Jesus would say, invest in eternity. I don't believe that tithing is the, is, is the uh, ceiling. I, I believe that tithing is the floor that we stand on. So by that, I mean it's where we should start. And then as God blesses us with more, we are seeking to raise that, and, and, and we're seeking to find other ways to be generous and to give over and above that. One pastor said, tithing is the training wheels of our faith. What he meant by that is, is it's just like when you're riding a bike, you need training wheels, and this is, this is kind of what it, what it takes for us to get going with a generous heart. And and so my challenge for you is to receive that today, to realize that the first step in financial freedom in your life is to give the first 10% of your gross income to God. And then second, uh, secondly, I would suggest that you give yourself the next 10% to yourself. And so by that, I simply mean you should save uh, at least 10% of your check every week. The Bible says in Proverbs twenty-one twenty, "...in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil." but a foolish man devours all he has. Now think about that in our culture. We live in a culture where people devour all that they have every single week. In fact, statistics prove it. The American Savings Education Council says that one in five people have nothing in their savings account. Folks, this is bad stewardship. This is unwise stewardship. And we need a different, we we need to raise the bar. We need a different technique. We need to understand that saving for our needs is important. Like a rainy day when something bad happens and you need an emergency fund. This is important. You need to save for retirement. One day you're not going to be able to work. You need to start saving for that, even if you're in your 20s today. I would say 10%. That would be my goal, to send that much into savings. Now, here's the reality. In our culture, there are a, a few of you that might fall into this cult, into this category. So I want to mention this: at some point, you make so much money that you're able to save for retirement. You're saving for you know for this and for that, and, and and you've got plenty of resources. At some point, I don't know what that point is, but there's a gray area. There's there's like this point to where you switch from being a wise steward and saving you know the, the, the resources that you need to take care of your family and your future needs, and then there's this whole other you know area. That would that that the scripture would call hoarding and selfishness and building your own empire and building your own income and, and and there's that balance and I don't know where that is for you but but I would but I would you know challenge you to seek the Lord if you fall into that category like how much is too much like how much are you gonna leave you know grandchildren how how many houses does one need how many cars how much stuff does one need and and if you fall into that category it's It's like I would challenge you to to understand that you could do so much for the kingdom of God. You you, you could transform so many more lives if you would just humble yourself before the Lord. Now, for the majority of us in the room, I would say we kind of fall on the other side. We're struggling to save on a consistent basis. And as a wide steward, I think that the first thing that you ought to do if you're in debt as to save that $1,000, uh, this is kind of a Dave Ramsey principle. And then whatever debt you have, he calls it the, the, the debt snowball. Go home and Google that, Dave Ramsey, debt snowball, all kinds of resources. If you've got credit card debt, school loans, that kind of thing, he would, he would say take the smallest loan and attack it. And, and and just pay everything that you have towards that smallest debt, and once it's gone, move to the next and to the next, and so on, until you're totally out of debt. And I believe this this would help put you on the right track. Now, let me ask you this question, as we're thinking about this: Who do you work for? When you wake up tomorrow morning, you get dressed and you walk out the door, and you get your briefcase and you get into the car and you go to work. What's your motivation for going to work tomorrow? Now some people many people would say, you know, well I go to work for my family. I'm working for my kids, I'm working to, you know, f- uh, pay for their needs, I'm working to fulfill them and do the things that I need to do to take care of them. But the reality is this. If you have credit card debt, school loans, whatever other kind of debt you have, essentially you're not giving to God, you're not giving to yourself. The reality is you get up and go to work for Visa. You get up and go to work for Uncle Sam pay your taxes. You get up and go to work for whoever it is you've borrowed money from. Now, listen, that's a terrible feeling. That is a terrible feeling to live that way. And I'm telling you, I'm, I'm encouraging you today that if you will change things, if you will get out of that rut and become a, a wise financial steward of the resources that God has given you. God will bless you and you will begin to experience the melting away of the stress and the financial problems in your life. Won't happen overnight, but it will begin to decrease in your life as you are putting God first financially. Now, first 10% goes to God. And the next 10% goes to savings. If you've got debt, that 10% should be get, going towards your debt until it's gone. Then you can save. Now, look. You cannot seek the kingdom of God with all of your heart. If you were running up credit card balances and only paying the minimum on them, that reveals who and what you serve and worship and you gotta break it. You need a transformation. One of the things that'll help you break that cycle is to automate your giving. Now this is again, very practical. Uh, automate your giving. You automate what's important. So if it's a debt that you're trying to pay off, Automate it, figure out what percentage, what that number is that you need to pay every single month on that card and, and, and you automate it uh, online so that it, it, it happens. And that takes out the temptation for you to continue to um, uh, make bad decisions financially. Uh, if, if in the area of giving to God's church, I would say automate it. Every single week, you know what you need to give. Every single month, you know what you need to give. God's not interested in the amount, he's interested in the percentage and so you figure out what that is, and so you begin to give that, and you automate the important. You can go online and set that up. It's very easy to do, and that way, you take away the temptation. You take away the temptation to, you know, you know blow up your budget again. You take away the temptation to, to buy that nice whatever that you think you need in the moment, that impulse buy, and, and then you don't have to worry about it. You know that you're living a wise financial uh, life at that point, and you let the, the system, you know, take place, and, and you live within your Means now, most people don't do this. Uh, the first person they give to, though, is Uncle Sam. Really, he uh, taxes are the first place your money goes if you haven't set up and automated your, your savings account giving. By, by the way, go to your accounting department at work and say, Hey, I want you to put this amount of money into this account, which would be your savings account, so that you don't even see it. Now, the government has done this and, and, and they've been very smart. You know, they've they uh, before you even see your check, they take out 27 cents to every dollar. If you've lived in other states, you know that there's another 5% uh, tax, uh, uh, state tax that they'll take out of every dollar. Then, you know, we have things like Social Security taxes, Medicare taxes, unemployment. By the end of the day, uh, depending on, you know, where you fall um, financially, the government is taking 30 to 40 cents of every single dollar that you make out before you even see it. You remember that first check you got as a teenager? And you're like, oh, this was my check. Oh, sweet well, then why don't I get that? (laughs) Who's this FICA guy? You know, it's very upsetting. See, it wasn't always like that, though. In 1943, things changed. Up until that point, people were asked in the spring to pay their taxes. Nothing was coming out of their check. So they had the freedom. What the government learned at that time is that We as Americans are not really good at saving up and preparing to pay our taxes because springtime came and nobody had any money to pay. So in 1943, the government came up with a really wise system. They automated our giving for us to them. (laughs) We don't like that necessarily, but it was really smart by the government so that before we even see it, they take it out. Now, here's the reality. I think some of us need to take this practical step of, of, of automation. We automate what's important to us. If giving to God's church is important to you, automate it. Here's what that does for us as a staff. It, it helps us steward the resources that God has given to this church in a better way. We, we know what we're going to get instead of you know, guessing and forecasting. If, if everyone was doing this, we would know, okay, this is what, we're, what we need to steward this month and that month, and it would, it would help drastically. But here's the other thing it would do. It would free your heart from the temptation every single month to not do it faithfully. Automate it, automate it, automate it. We give God 10%, we give ourselves 10%, and we automate everything. And then the third and final principle, this is going to blow your minds. Are you ready? You've probably never heard this before. This is the most enlightening financial advice you've ever heard from God's word. Point number three is you budget the remaining 80%. I mean, think about it, though, seriously, if you've been in credit card debt, if you've made bad financial decisions, what if you lived by that from the time you were in high school with your first job and today? How much different would your life be? How much different would your life be if you never got a school loan, if you never got credit card debt, if you never bought that car that that you don't even, you know, uh, have anymore? And we just live by these basic principles. I believe God would bless us in incredible ways. We automate the important and and we let our system take over. You tell your money where it needs to go instead of your money telling you where it needs to go. You say, man, I can't live off 80%. Are you crazy? Can't do that. (laughs) And I say, yes, you can. But it's going to require a lot of hard work. It's going to require a lot of reshaping of your heart, of your mind, and of your attitude, and your spiritual life. But when you do, you set your feet on solid ground, and you begin to work a strategic financial plan that, listen, will bless you for all eternity, and will provide rewards for you today, and will take away the stress will take away all the anxiety that you're currently dealing with right now. So, so here's the deal. I believe that you can be in credit card debt and, and, and you, you could have made some bad decisions financially, but still today make decisions that will, will allow you to become a wise steward. Because if I create the system and I know this is going to that place and and I know I'm saving this amount and I'm giving God what he has, has, has asked and I'm giving that percentage, once I set that plan up and it's working for me, then I can say that I'm a wise steward and I'm working to pay off the mistakes I've made, but today I'm honoring God with my resources. So I believe you can make that change. I believe it with all of my heart, but you're gonna have to cut out the fluff. You're gonna have to maybe potentially cut cable you're going to have to sell that car that you really couldn't afford or that house that you really couldn't afford. Spring's coming. Maybe you need to put something on the market. For some of you, you're going to have to cut out that latte every, every day. You know, that, that Starbucks every single day is, is not Starbucks. It's five bucks every day, right? Add that up. Some of you have pets you can't afford. I mean, I said that in the first service, and you thought I would have said the worst thing in the history. I, people gasped in the first. Oh, not Fluffy. Look, if you can't afford Fluffy, give him to a loving home. <laughs> if you're spending more on your pet, <laughs> somebody doesn't like their pet here. <laughs> He's been trying to get rid of that dog for years. He's hoping the Holy Spirit is nudging his wife right now. I've been in that, I've been in that situation. Think about it, though. Really, let's, let's think strategically. Take your heart away from it for a second, if that's even possible. If you're giving and spending more money on your pets than you are God's church, how do you think that sets up with, with the house of God? Where do you think that ranks up there with your spiritual maturity? I love pets. I have pets. I always had pets. <clears throat> but here's the deal. We've got to put God first. So we've got to cut out the fluff. We've got to make a decision to never use our credit cards if that's what's got you in trouble. Now, there's there's a percentage of people in here that are very disciplined. They use that card, and every month they pay it off. God bless you. Most people can't do that. So you cut them up and you don't use them. Praise God for the debit card. Use that thing and never go back to it. Here's the reality. When you automate everything, when you put this plan in place, your temptations begin to fall away. The simplest thing you can do is to arrange your life to take away the temptations that are around you. And by automating that... A lot of these problems go away. So listen, if you give to God first, you follow this plan for the first time in your life, you'll be able to say that you treasure Jesus and you trust him with your money. Man, what a great, great place to live in. The bottom line today, if you haven't heard anything else, hear this. God's more interested in the percentage. Some people pat themselves on their back when they give, but God's blessed them financially so much that their gift is less than 1%, but they feel great because it's so large. Here's what I'm saying. The percentage is what God cares about. Now, listen, I know in this room, there's a lot of people who have been faithful givers over the course of these eight years as a church. And you're like the little boy who gave a couple of loaves of bread, a few loaves of bread and a couple of fish to Jesus. And Jesus multiplied it and fed 5,000 people. Listen, you are those people. If, if you have been a faithful giver over the years, God has taken the very little that we have been given as a church and he has exponentially multiplied it for the kingdom of God and he has done incredible, incredible things. So thank you, thank you, thank you for being a faithful giver. God has blessed this church and many, many people as a result of it. There's another group of people who, essentially, let's just call it what it is. It's been unfaithful stewardship. And my, my encouragement for you today is to, is, is, is to allow God to reshape your attitude and, and to realize that this is not just um, you know, a little thing in our lives. This is a big deal. And I would call you to return to God, to repent of your sin and to put God first with your finances. There's another group of people in the room. You're, you're a new Christian and so you're just kind of figuring this out. Maybe this is the first time you've heard things like this. And so you're like, oh, man, I, this is totally, you know, radical. I, I mean, this is going to take me a while. Listen, we want to be compassionate with you and loving with you. And we want to walk with you. That's why we offer financial peace. This, this is a course that is, is well, it, it, it's an amazing course, by the way. And it will set you on the right path financially. And so we want to walk with you through this. But at the same time, if you've been a Christian for a year or two years and you still haven't done this, like like it's time to repent of sin and turn our resources over to the Lord. And then finally, there's a group of people in here that maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You've never given your life to him. I'm not asking you to give anything. I'm asking you to receive the greatest gift anyone has ever given anyone. And that is a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you turn to him, He'll, he'll change your heart. He'll restore your brokenness. He will he'll, he will fill you with His Spirit, and He'll transform your life, give you the hope of heaven, and give you a purpose in this world. When you leave today, you walk out these doors. To the to the left, there's a, a room called the Karen Prayer Room. We've got volunteers, and uh, bless you, <laughs> we've got volunteers that would love to pray with you, and wipe your nose, and uh, give you tissues, and They'd like to do whatever possible to be able to help you make that decision today before you leave. Um, Next Sunday um, is our 90-day challenge. Now, we've done this in the past, and it has helped uh, so many people in so many ways. And so I want to prepare you to be ready to make this decision. The 90-day challenge is this, that for 90 days, you're going to commit to give 10% of your income to God's church and at the end of that 90 days, if you don't feel like God has supplied your needs and God has blessed you, as a church, we'll give it all back to you. For 90 days, we're going to make that commitment to God and to each other. That we're going to together bless the Lord with the resources that he's given to us. So your homework today and this week is to go home. If you're married, talk to your, your spouse or if you're single, go back to your, you know, your account online and begin to figure out what it's going to take for you to get into that vein, and to get to that place where you start doing things different, and put God first and your finances. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are often challenged every time we open up your word, and sometimes this topic is one of those topics where it's it's kind of a personal thing, and we're a little bit uneasy, and uh, it's challenging, and for some people maybe who are struggling in this area, I pray that your spirit would just uh, enlighten them and, and grow them. And may they have positive conversations with their small group, positive conversations with, with other believers in this church to help them move into the direction that God would, would call them to move. God, God, you blessed us in so many ways. Giving to you is a joy. Giving to you is such a rewarding experience. And Lord, ultimately, we know those rewards are going to be stored up for us in heaven So, Lord, just help us to trust you and move in this direction. As a church, God, we want to honor you. We want to bless you. And we want to see more lives transformed by the gospel. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.